just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean that the needs of our children and families have stopped. Welcome to the Real Talk About Children's Mental Health podcast, brought to you by the Children's Center in Midtown Detroit. I'm your host, Laura LaFever, and I have the pleasure of being the Director of Community Projects at the Children's Center. In each episode, we'll get real about the unimaginable mental, social, and behavioral health challenges faced by Detroit's most vulnerable children and families every day. Why is this important? because at the Children's Center, we're passionate about healing children. We believe every child deserves a chance to succeed, to become the amazing person they were born to be. Because we know when you lift a child's spirit, you ultimately lift an entire community. Hello everyone, welcome back to Real Talk about children's mental health. I'm glad that you're joining us. Uh, We are at podcast number three. I'm your host, Laura LaFever. And again, this is everything around children's mental health. With me today, I have Crystal Coleman, who is one of our clinical directors at the Children's Center. Crystal's going to give us an update as to how the Children's Center continues to provide services in spite of and through this pandemic. We know that with mental health, nothing has stopped uh, because of the pandemic. Um, We're finding, if nothing else, the need is even greater. So Crystal's going to give us an insight into what clinical services have looked like through this pandemic. So let me welcome. Hello, Crystal. Hello, Laura. How are you? I am doing well. How are you today? I am great. I am great. Let's just jump into it. Um, You know, we are probably at the fifth month marker of doing um, remote services. We started this in March, being in alignment with the governor's executive order And uh, we went from seeing our families face-to-face to to all of a sudden working remotely. Uh, I'd love for you to spend some time uh, with everyone today and talk about what clinical services are looking like for children and youth at the Children's Center right now. Okay, sure. So um, this is a drastic change for us, Um, you know, not being able to meet with our families on a face-to-face basis, which we absolutely do believe is the uh, best way to service individuals and families, mainly because it gives you a lot more communication. You know, you have the nonverbals, you can utilize the environment you can look at um, and, you know, discuss with the family. However, we are extremely thankful that the state decided to lift restrictions and allow us to provide services via telehealth, which Mm -hmm. means that we are seeing clients um, either on some video platform that we were able to secure and um, help families navigate if they were not already familiar with them or by telephone if necessary as well. Um, Before COVID existed, we were unable to provide such services in our world. So we're very thankful that those restrictions were lifted and we are able to provide those now because it does give us an opportunity to continue providing the much needed services that our family come to us for. No, exactly. And I I think, uh, Crystal, and I've shared this um, conversation uh, with George Wynn, our uh, chief operations officer, you and your team uh, really sort of on a dime went from a, a Friday to a Monday, you know, kind of really overnight in providing these services um, that we're used to doing face to face, just remotely. What did it take to get there? Wow. Um, it took a, a great team. So there were a few of us who had several long meetings 
who got together and we had to figure out, um, you know, how to do this from a compliance standpoint. We wanted to make sure that what we were doing, that we were doing it correctly, that we were doing it to still protect the um, the private information of our families. We had to develop new processes, new procedures. We had to educate our staff. There were a lot of stumbling blocks because at the same time that we were moving forward with this process, everything was changing on like a day-to-day basis, sometimes multiple times in a day mm-hmm. of information that we received from the state or the county that was giving us information on how this should go. So it took us realigning things for, you know, 200 people to be able to provide services to our families. And like you said, it was, I believe it was a, a Monday to Monday. Mm-hmm. We, um, we started, you know, we started slow, maybe towards the end of that first week, mm-hmm. but by the next week we were fully online seeing families. We had to reach out and get their consent to do this via telemedicine. And initially we did have some families who were not comfortable with doing this. They were not interested in doing this. I'm sorry. No, I I was saying, sure. I agree. I'm sure it was hard to go from, wait a minute. I'm used to seeing my therapist, uh, my case manager, my, my connection uh, once or twice, you know, up to three or four times a month. And now you're saying no and just remotely and all the challenges that may have come with the connectivity. Correct. Um, Connectivity, whether or not all the families had devices in order to be able to even consider doing this service, um, making sure all families knew how to do this. I know, you know, we sort of think that everyone's on social media and everyone knows how to use a camera phone or a stream a live video and everyone doesn't know, you know, how to do that. So it was definitely a task getting people up to speed and doing so. And then, you know, in working with children, we do a lot of hands on work and we use, you know, things that facilitate the therapeutic process, such as games and um, other activities within the office. And we now have to figure out a new way of engaging our children in particular, um, as well as our families during these times. Crystal, you, you know, you said something important. Um, everything that you said is important. But the key thing that you said is, you know, working with ch- children in the office, there are certain um, clinical toys and games and just interactive things that I know the clinicians you to use to engage the children, especially some of our younger children. How has our how has the clinical team moved from not having those um, interactive items and really just doing everything virtually and kind of the the, the talk therapy that they do? But how, how is that looking? Well, um, in order to work with children and families and, you know, just various individuals, we do um, have to have people who are not only flexible, but also creative, right? So, you know, some people even face-to-face, there are different things that you have to try to really capture their attention and, um, and build that relationship. So we just had to stretch that quite a bit more <laughs> in order to do so without being able to just hand them, you know, an activity that we could utilize during that session. So we had clinicians doing a lot of creative things. They were able to find games even to play that would engage the client and still be, you know, very much a part of the therapeutic process, whether it's 
finding an item in the room that matches their mood nice. and having the client bring it to the camera. And then we get to talk about the client mood, their feelings, what got them there. Um, if it's a negative mood and we want to talk about why it's there and what we want to do about it, talk about some coping mechanisms. Um, so we have to get creative in that resort. Some staff were doing some, um, scavenger hunts okay. where they would identify specific things that they had in their home as well as the child needing to find in their home. And that again will allow them to follow directions. Um, sometimes they might get frustrated if they can't find it and they'll have to work through that. So clinicians got very, very creative. And most importantly, what we did was we tried to create platforms by which they could share that information and make sure that if there was someone who was, you know, maybe challenged with a particular client or hadn't come up with some of these creative ways that they were introduced to them and able to utilize them as well. Wow. Wow. That is creative. Yeah, I think we all have had to be creative, but it's it has taken everyone to the next level of of engagement and creativity. Um, to do the work virtually, mm -hmm. especially yeah. the work. Absolutely. And like you said, with those young ones, babies. With the, yeah, <laughs> with, with, with the young ones, because, you yeah. know, we call them leg huggers, you know, <laughs> and they're so used to that direct connection um, with the clinician. And I'm sure the clinicians are also working with the parents to help with that engagement. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say the one of the benefits to this has been being able to see the families in their natural environment. So they were able to utilize that in their sessions as well and, you know, work with the child as well as their family members in um, addressing some of the things that typically we only hear about in the sessions. Again, it's, it's just amazing the work that has been done. So you've talked, you, you know, you spoke a little bit now about what um, the clinicians have, clinicians have done to engage. We've talked about some challenges talk about some of the, and, and I think you, you did that, but let's talk about um, mm -hmm. some of the benefits to telemedicine, because um, I'm sure that as you're doing the work, we're finding, um, again, not only the new ways of engagement, but there may be some benefits to the telemedicine that we Absolutely. may not have recognized before. Um, and I will say the one that stands out the most is that we have actually seen for the clients who we had already been working with um, when we went remote, what we found was that we were able to better engage them, meaning that um, one of the indicators that we track just to determine, you know, if we're really capturing and working with the families who have come to us is what we call our kept appointment rate. And we have seen that higher than we ever mm -hmm. have in um, the three or four years that we've been tracking it since it's um, been since we've been providing telehealth services and outside of the fact that, you know, most people are home. Um, we also understand that a lot of our families had transportation barriers, including depending on public transportation, which was not always reliable. Sorry, not to cut you off, but I wanted just to say really quickly, we know that transportation is still a barrier um, for our families and transportation during COVID um, is, is a barrier. Um, and so the, if we can say we've gained anything out of this is removing that barrier Absolutely. of transportation for families. So Crystal, um, the work, as I said earlier, and you, as you've indicated, the work hasn't stopped. Um, how, how have our intake services 
and crisis services because we mm -hmm. also offer crisis screenings. Um, we offer new appointments. We have not stopped seeing new patients, new clients during this time. What does it look like for someone who wants to um, gain access yes. so to the Children's Center? We initially, when we first went remote and, you know, we were learning about this COVID thing, we actually had not planned on providing mm -hmm. intake services or crisis care services remote because the nature of the service itself. But as this seemed to stretch on longer and longer, after a few weeks, we saw that it was necessary for us to figure that out. So we actually had the team who provide those services give a lot of input into how they thought we could successfully build a way of providing those services using telehealth. So we did have to make a few changes to our process because we have to we had to add a significant component for new clients to, you know, set up the platform in which we're going to pr be providing the service, uh, make sure that they received all of the required documents that we would typically give them in hand. So working out a whole process for ensuring that everyone had an email address, which, again, we assume most people do, but everyone does not. So we did have to make some changes to the way that we right. do those services, but we did that. And so now both programs are open. They were only closed for um, intake for a little less than a month. So I think about three weeks and crisis care, probably a full month. So we will have um, an intake clinician contact the family after their appointment is scheduled. They, the community can still reach us at 313-262-1212 to schedule an appointment or fill out an appointment request form on our website. And following that, one of our clinical staff give them a call, find out a little bit more about what they're um, looking to get assistance with in coming to TCC, and then they'll start the process. So after that point, and they get the platform all set up, it pretty much mimics the process that we already had on our campus. Um, and pretty much the same with Crisis Care Center. You know, we had to streamline it a bit more because we have to get to the, the point of the service for those in crisis much faster than anything else. So that whole process of making sure that we have the legal piece situated of them consenting to services is pretty quick, pretty efficient. And we really do get down to what is it that they're experiencing and try to help them secure safety either in their home by you know, helping them identify some safety tips and setting them up for ongoing services. And we still are able to access and authorize services out of the home when absolutely necessary so that they are able to go to like a day treatment program or inpatient if we're unable to keep them safe in the home. Which is all so important. And, you know, as you indicated in those early months of COVID, it really, you know, these are critical services, but really making sure we found the best ways for families to access those services. So fast forward a little bit, you know, like I said earlier, we're probably, I think around the fifth month, I'm, I'm almost <laughs> losing track of time, but around the fifth month of doing this, it may be six. Um, but we are at the Children's Center really looking at how we phase um, our staff back in, but how we're phasing our clients back in. And on a prior podcast, I spoke about um, the safety precautions that we're taking. But can you share now what is it looking like for, especially for our intake services, our existing services? Are we beginning to phase families back on Absolutely. campus? Absolutely. Um, I would say actually beginning, um, beginning in August, 
we started to either a clinical staff would identify, you know, I think it's been a little bit long and this person really would benefit from face-to-face services. And we've actually had a few families who um, identified their need of um, seeing their, their treatment team face-to-face and in person. So since the beginning of August, we have resumed a few face-to-face services based on clinical need. Mm -hmm. And then because of the unique service of Intake and Crisis Care Center, for the past few weeks, we have been back on campus and we are offering face-to-face services. Now, I do want to make it clear for the individuals who are not comfortable with coming to campus for the same reasons that they're struggling with, whether or not their child should return to the classroom, we're continuing to provide telehealth services as long as the state will allow us to do so. But we are beginning to offer um, face-to-face in-person services when clinically appropriate and we're phasing into as well as when the family is just preferring that. So we're seeing a slight increase on a week-to-week basis of those who are preferring to come in for intake and crisis care services since we've been open. It's wonderful. Everything, you know, in phases. Um, Absolutely. Everything has to be in phases because, again, we did a lot of precautionary um, changes at the agency to have our not only our staff, but our families feel very welcome coming back onto the campus. So it's really important to hear how um, we're reengaging back on campus. What are the options? So I have my child's in crisis. Um, I want someone to see uh, him or her face to face. I just want to be a little more specific on that. Mm-hmm, sure. So Technically, and because we are there, um, individuals can report to campus um, between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. We are Mm -hmm. encouraging individuals, though, to contact us by telephone at 313-324-8557. The reason that we are encouraging that is because one of the precautions we're continuing to take is limiting the number of individuals who are in shared spaces while we're on our campus. So we do it would benefit us and be safer for us to um, be able to give the individuals clear recommendations on presenting in person when and what to expect. And it also gives them an opportunity to know um, what we're requiring in order to maintain safety. So we are requiring that everyone within our buildings wear face coverings. So they must have a mask. And so we encourage them to present with them. And if they do not, we will be able to supply them. We are doing COVID screening questions when they present, and we are taking temperature readings. So as long as all of those things are completed and um, it does, there's no indication that the individual may be experiencing symptoms of COVID, then they will be allowed into the building. And the other thing we're requesting is that only the child who is being serviced, which I understand may sometimes be more than one child, but mm-hmm. only the child and one parent or guardian in the interim um, to present on campus again, just to decrease the number of people who are in shared spaces. Yes, it's it, the de- density is everything. Absolutely. Try, and trying to eliminate that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to also add. So in addition to the face coverings, what we've done in our clinical rooms is that we've put some of those plexiglass shields up so that there is a barrier between our clients and our staff so that um, each of them feels safer. We are social distancing at six feet in most cases, in all spaces where we can. 
So in those areas where we it's a little bit smaller and, you know, we might not be able to um, get exactly to six feet, we are still practicing, you know, identifying a space that's most safe for individuals to remain in as we provide those services. And then we even, you know, understand that we're working with little people and they are not going to just come in and sit down like they never have. So we're not expecting them to change. So we're just trying to figure out ways to best manage that to increase safety. So we're, you know, we're going to be including the parent in that a tad bit more than we had in the past. But, you know, in my opinion, that just gives us another opportunity to practice skills live. So it's not a bad thing. No, no, it's not a bad thing. And I think one of the benefits right now, um, Crystal, you may or may not agree, but children are preparing to go back to school in some form or fashion. I think there are programs that are hybrid, perhaps, where there's classroom instruction some days and remote instruction some days. How, how are we um, working with families um, to kind of prepare for appointments and access as the return to school is happening? So pretty much following those same standards that I um, shared about the personal protection equipment. Um, I think that the benefit we have right now is that everyone is experiencing COVID. You know, this isn't an isolated thing where it only impacts a certain family or a certain community or a certain business industry. So the, the, the positive is that everyone is getting the same information. Um, almost every business, regardless of what they're doing, are requiring the same types of restrictions and or um, safety precautions. So right. we're just really working to make sure that they feel comfortable with us, um, but also that you know we're, we're blending in with the rest of the world at this point. Um, a lot of people are very stressed out about whether or not to send their child back to the classroom setting. And we absolutely understand that um, that is their personal decision to do so or not. Um, but we're absolutely working with families to address the feelings and emotions and some of the barriers around that. So, you know, um, the anxiety around it, the, re you know, normalizing the fear that it could happen, but also understanding um, what you need to do in your personal responsibility and keeping yourself safe, um, yourself, right? And making sure that you understand those things and that you're practicing them um, at all times. So important. Lots of key things that, you you know, the anxiety of just returning to school in larger classrooms or not returning to school. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm sure are a lot of this, these discussions are coming up uh, with our young people and their clinicians um, as we move into the fall. So there's a, a lot of heavy lifting, um, seems like, um, is underway for our families and for um, our TCC clinicians. Crystal, what are some key takeaways that you want um, those listening in today to walk away with? We talked, we spoke about telemedicine and how that's working. Um, you spoke about the intake and, and crisis care. I want to make sure we reiterate those numbers. But what do you see as some key takeaways today? Honestly, I think the thing that is most important for me is for individuals to really know that not only that we're still here, but those who needed us before now still do. And mm -hmm. there may be some new people who need us. We did not see a significant increase of people coming in for services, new, you know, new clients coming in for services 
that we kind of anticipated with the stress of all of this. And what we understand that may be is because the adults in their lives are so stressed out about just sort of getting by, you know, day to day. They're trying yes. to figure out this work and kid at home um, situation. And, you know, a lot of people became unemployed either temporarily or permanently because of all of this. And they're just trying to figure out how they will meet their family's financial needs. And what we believe and understand is that seeking mental health services may not be at the top of the priority list. Even for those families who do have it as a priority, we just heard someone saying that, you know, they were calling clients for sessions and the family was in line to pick up a tablet for school. So we just understand that there are so many different things going on in individuals' lives right now that it's kind of hard to make everything work. I just don't want people to lose focus of the the traumatic, emotional and mental health aspects of this COVID thing. Right. So there is an increase in anxiety. There is an increase in depression, the isolation, feeling withdrawal, you know, not being able to interact with the people who you care about or your friends. Um, that is going to take a toll on not only the adults, but also the children. So I just want to, you know, remind people to pay attention to what's going on outside of those physical things that they're managing mm -hmm. on a day to day basis. Pay attention to that child who seems a little bit more worried than they usually are. Make sure that they, you know, have realistic fears and understand what's going on and that they're not overexposed to um, hearing, you know, the number of deaths that we're experiencing. So just don't forget about your or your child's mental health and well-being during these times. Again, lots of going on. COVID has really just taken um, us to a whole other level of anxiety and our, and our children are feeling that. But as you said, our parents are going through it and, and they're feeling their parents' anxiety as, as their own anxiety is intensifying. Um, Crystal, can you remind us again the phone numbers for yeah. intake and for crisis care service? Absolutely. To request an intake appointment, the telephone number is 313-262-1212. And our crisis care center is open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday, and we do encourage individuals to call us first to make sure things are safe at 313-324-8557. Crystal Coleman, Clinical Director at the Children's Center. You and I can go on and on. <laughs> um, I could keep you on, the, on, on this podcast a lot longer. And I want to thank you for taking the time and also extend another welcome back. Um, so that we can continue the conversation as we work to help families navigate through COVID and their clinical service. So again, Crystal, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's very important. So I'm always willing to chip in where I can. And I hope that this helped people understand that we are here and that they can reach out to us when they need us. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, everyone. Thank you. This has been another podcast, another recording of Real Talk with Children's Mental Health. Uh, this is Laura Lefevre and you everyone have a great day and stay safe. That's it for this episode of the Real Talk about Children's Mental Health podcast. Our mission going all the way back to 1929 is to help children and families shape their own futures. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. 
And please, please share with your friends on social media. The more people we can reach with the information we share on this podcast, the more children and families we can help get the care they need and deserve. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk About Children's Mental Health Podcast. I'm Laura LaFever, and until next time, remember to live, love, and laugh by being intentional about helping children to heal, grow, and thrive.